The following audio is from Downtown Church, a kingdom-focused, gospel-centered, multi-ethnic, multi-class ministry in Memphis, Tennessee. For more information, please visit downtownchurch.com. We have been going through the Ten Commandments, or the Ten Words, many of you heard me say. And so, in going through these Ten Words, uh, there was something this morning as we were in the Equip Hour, a shameless plug, that many of us who need to be in Equip Hour to sharpen our theological and biblical knowledge of who God is and what He is in our life. Uh, Sister Donna said something that was that was that stood out to me and made me think about what we were what we we're going through, and that is. These words and the word, the Bible, was only used, and you heard me say this at the beginning of the series, as a constraint on individuals, mainly telling them what they cannot do and what they can do. That's a misinterpretation of what the ten words are. They don't tell us what we cannot do, nor do they limit us. Remember, we believe that the Ten Commandments, these ten words actually liberate us to live in full, in the full grace and mercy in which the Lord Jesus Christ gives us. So in believing in that, then we know when it tells us who to worship and what not to do, it's only instructing us on how to be worshipers of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. And so this... Throughout this series, what we've been trying to put before you is this idea in which the closer we are to God leads to closeness with one another. The closer we are to God leads to a closeness of one another. And so we titled this series, We, particularly because we know that what is said in these commandments in the first Five commandments, the first half, we see it's a closeness of God. Then we see a level in which there's a closeness in loving our neighbor and one another. That's important because even when we look, when it comes to adultery, we, many of us will say, how does this affect closeness in a community? Last week we talked about do not murder, but we didn't look at it only from the aspect of which you are physically killing the individual. We looked at it from what Jesus says in the New Testament and how our anger and our words are actually the things that are killing us in our communities. The words that we use and what we see in media, racial slurs and how we denigrate one another can affect the way that we pursue that closeness with one another. But then when we look at the Uh, at this seventh commandment, it is particularly challenging us to look at our faithfulness to God, which then also leads to our faithfulness to one another. So if we were to define the intimacy that we have with one another, we're defining it in the aspect in which God is calling us to be faithful to each other because we are faithful to Him. Am I making sense? Amen. So, here, when we look at this seventh commandment, as I was doing my study, it, it, there's, it's straightforward. Do not commit adultery. There's, there's nothing, nothing to speculate, nothing to, to go off and, and miss. Don't commit adultery. Do not do it. it. But there's a good reason why. Many of us, we don't realize how we are living in a culture that causes many of us to just be inundated with so much of sexual content. Uh, through media, through video games, through uh, YouTube, through uh, watching TV, 
uh, um, uh, Netflix and Hulu, those out media outlets cause us to, to be blinded to how we are dehumanizing. See, last week I talked about dehumanizing from the aspect of our words, but now we dehumanize by how we objectify others, right? So I'm getting some dead scare, scare, stirs, excuse me, I'm from St. Louis. Uh, but, but, but this aspect in which we actually dehumanize individuals because we objectify them for our sexual pleasures or any other pleasures means that we begin to commit adultery. If you look at what's happened in our culture through the Me Too movement, millions of women have drawn attention to how they've been abused by power before the pleasure of others. We'll get to that later in the sermon. And then we also look at sex scandals. I mean, you can look at the last three to four years, everywhere from college sports to people being found out on Ashley Madison, to people being uh, uh, being found out in, in private other secret settings, uh, how they have been exploiting women or cheating on their spouses. This has been particularly, uh, a, a amongst the tension with justice, this has been particularly one of the most hot and heated discussions of our day. But see, we don't realize how we're subtly lulled into believing how we ought to objectify other individuals. We don't, we don't see it. So when we hear sex trafficking, it does not hit us hard. When we, when we, when we see, I see prostitutes walking down summer, y'all. We, we don't, we don't, we, it don't, we don't, it may not draw our attention. It may not pop up, but, but there are people, women in particular, being kidnapped. To be sex trafficked right here in our city. People are dehumanized. Why? Because I think we've been desensitized as Christians even. Because it's particularly affected us in the church. We can look at a brother or sister and objectify them. But see, here's the thing. The tenth, seventh commandment doesn't particularly just get to lust. So I don't want to miss that. I want you to miss that. We'll get into what it's actually talking about. But Paul, that Paul uh, David Tripp said something that I found was particularly interesting as he was describing how we struggle with lust. Listen to this. He says, first, uh, an individual will be treating someone else as if they belong to them. He's particularly talking about men. So he says, first, he is treating this moment as if it belongs to him. What moment is he describing when he objectifies a woman? When others objectify other individuals for their own pleasures. And we, then he goes on to say this. It's as if he is sovereign and she is on the sidewalk according to his will for his pleasure. He's, uh, he's the self-appointed deity of that moment. He's actually getting to how the seventh commandment leads us to think that we're the God of our own pleasures. That's what idolatry was getting to. But see here, he continues on. He says, but see, there's a moment. I mean, but there's more. For the moment, he's stealing God's creation and taking it as its own, as his own. And he has no right to this woman. She does not actually belong to him in any way. But he takes her for, uh, he takes her for himself with his mind and his eyes. He's ripped this woman out of the hands of God and claimed her as his own for whatever momentary pleasure he can achieve. He has denied God's existence. He has set himself up as God. 
He calls this a godlike delusion of lust. The way that he says that, that we can be cured of this is interesting. And I think it fits right into what the main thrust of what we've been trying to get to. He says, get this, recognition of and living for the community with God for which I was created keeps my life sexually pure. Did y'all just hear what I said? Or what he said? I'm going to say it again. I'll say it again. Recognition of and living for the community with God for which I was created keeps my sexual life pure. The intimacy that we have with one another and the intimacy we have with God actually helps us to live faithful in the area of sexual purity. See, a lot of times that doesn't even make sense to us because we don't think that anybody can hold us accountable in that area. If we're married, if we're unmarried. But the community can. When we're isolated, that becomes a problem. We'll get to that more. But then he goes on to say this. He says, there's no way. My heart, uh, he says, there's no way. Heart controlling love for God protects my heart from wandering all, to all the places it can wander in this sexually insane world. Here's the problem, brothers and sisters. Our lust lures us. It lures us away from the Lord on only focusing on what is going to be pleasing for the moment. Even when you think about addictions to drugs, what's pleasing for the moment? Even if you can think about other addictions that you may may be seeking pleasures out of, what's, what's going to make me feel satisfied for the moment? How can I isolate myself and get away? That's how we treat, see in a mind space, we treat it as if I can disengage. But see, in a, in a community space, what we continue to do is we're, we're actively disengaged. So we're not really seeking intimacy with one another. We're coming to church, and we do church, and we leave church, and we live a different life. Right? But see, this is what it gets to the heart matter. Because here's the, here's the popular phrase today. Because of pleasure, we just want to live in the moment. Which I don't think living in the moment allows us to at all to appreciate what God has put around us. But we, we're succumbed to what is, what is going to gratify us for that particular moment. So to live in the moment actually means that you're going to, I'm going to just be here for the moment. Well, you're not cognitively thinking about or appreciating what God has put around you. When I come into here, when I come into this church house, any of us, when we come in here, we shouldn't just live in the moment and missing what God has put around us. We should appreciate what God is doing. That actually means it changes our hearts from subtly walking in here and missing what God's presence to actually having a mindset that is clothed with righteousness, allowing us to draw attention to his holiness. It affects the way we worship. But see... Here's the, here's the thing. This is what I want you to walk away with this morning because we're going to get to some hard things and I think it is, it is difficult to talk about these matters. However, it is important. And this is it. That the seventh commandment, seventh commandment, don't miss it, it literally means do not have sexual intercourse with another person's spouse. Do not have sexual intercourse with another person's spouse at all. This is what it literally means, but actually we see that from the New Testament perspective, it shows us a little bit more. It's not just the act, but it also talks about the heart of the individual. And so when we look at this, we see, and John Frame said this, he said, all sin is unfaithfulness to God. 
Which means what? It's spiritual adultery. All this is this is your hashtag. This is what you put in your mind if you tune me out for the rest of the sermon because I'm blabbing that all sin is unfaithfulness to God. In other words, it is spiritual adultery. We see this because God has called us to covenant faithfulness. And two things, our covenant faithfulness should do something. It should lead us to faithfulness in all our all of our other relationships. And then our covenant faithfulness to God should also reveal our hearts. Look at me. When we look at what the first point is, our covenant faithfulness to lead, uh, covenant faithfulness to God leads to faithfulness in all other relationships. We have to look at this from the Old Testament perspective in which in that time marriage was viewed differently in how we view marriage. Because in the ancient Near East, many of them had multiple wives. In fact, there were some scholars that would actually deny the authority of, of Scripture due to this, uh, due to, by missing, uh, missing, by saying we misinterpret passages because of things like polygamy. When you look at Solomon, he had 700 wives, 500 concubines. I know people that I grew up with that literally rationalized having multiple women by this. You also see David who had seven unnamed wives. Abraham, he had Sarah, but he, had, he also had two other wives or concubines. And so people will say, well, you know what? The Bible is, is it actually doesn't hold true. And it's not fallible because, I mean, it's, it's, not, uh, it's, not, it's not inerrant because how can someone suggest polygamy? But this is not what the New Testament, this is not what the Old Testament actually affirms. We see God tolerate it, but it doesn't affirm it. In fact, we know this because when you look at what God says in Genesis chapter 2, he says this, Therefore, man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife. Singular. And they shall become one flesh. Singular. The, the emphasis here is to see that the Old Testament intentions, God's intentions for marriage was monogamous, not polygamous. And thus, if that's the case, when we're taking the wider scope into perspective, we see in the creation narrative that one man is for one woman and one woman is for one man. So there is, there is this problem though when we look at Genesis 3 that where there's dissension. And because man had ran away from God and ruined the relationship between God and man, now we see this tension to where men have married multiple wives throughout the Bible. We see women taken advantage of throughout the Bible in these particular things. So the Bible is technically X-rated. It is very graphic. Right? But I want you to get this. That it is important to note that polygamy violates the letter and the spirit of the, law, of the seventh commandment. Period. It violates it. But here's a side note. When you would look at this as a, as a person in this particular context, in the ancient Near East, what they understood, um, in the ancient Near East, they didn't understand polygamy with lust. That's what I want to make the distinction. Polygamy wasn't just lustfulness. It was actually that an individual who had multiple wives, typically when we see in the Bible, they were, they were royal, of royal family. They were kings, they were priests, they were, they, I mean, not priests, they were leaders. And so, Actually, when we look at this, we're looking at an individual that's saying, or people that are saying that they can afford 
or take care of because that's what they consented to by having multiple wives or concubines. Okay? So I'm sorry I bored you. Sorry. But it's important to know that when we look at this particular commandment, that in the context in which Moses is, God is writing this to Moses and he's speaking to his people, we can miss a lot of things because culture today, I'm literally reading a book called Lily of the Thorn because one of my friends who is practicing homosexuality and was a Christian, raised as a Christian, said, can you read this book because I'm struggling understanding how I've been told that I can't practice homosexuality, but because here is someone that's saying the Bible is flawed in these particular areas. Many of you are are experiencing that through friendships, through people that you know, that ethically you don't know, you don't, you're not necessarily seeing, okay, are they making a point? Yes, does the Bible seem to actually affirm polygamy? No. Right? I don't want anybody to be confused with it. So now remember, this point is, covenant faithfulness to God leads to faithfulness in all of our other relationships. But... All of sin and faithfulness is spiritual to God. All of sin is unfaithfulness to God is spiritual adultery. Don't miss that. So the first two commandments actually help us with that. Why? Because they tell us to be devoted to God. So God is leading his people to say, no other gods before me. Don't make any other graven images. Don't do anything else because I am the God that has rescued you and delivered you out of Egypt. Therefore, I am the only God that you need to be devoted to. Leave all of the other gods alone that you have been, uh, you've been subjected to while you were in Egypt. Some of us need to leave some, some gods alone that we've been subjected to in our previous life, before Christ. And if you have yet to come to know him, maybe you should lay some of those gods down this morning. So that you can submit yourself to the one true God. Why? Because God has made a covenant relationship with his people to be solely devoted to him. What does this speak to? Marriage. Marriage is synonymous in the sense that covenant of marriage and the covenant relationship of God is, is, there's resemblance. God is saying, I am going to be your God. I am going to be your Lord. What is, what is he saying? He said, there's no other God should be before me. But what do we see the problem? We see according to Genesis 3 that Adam and Eve, the first parents, disobeyed God and they damaged the marriage relationship between God and man. And then in doing that, after, after the fall, sexual shame appears to be the, for the first time in Genesis 3 and 7. And then after that, man blames his trouble on the women, woman in verse 12. And then after that, God announces the curse on her for childbearing in verse 16. And then we see man is... Is, is supposed to be tilling the ground. He's, labor is going to be hard. Labor is not going to be good. It's not going to be of God and to God. But it is difficult. What is the issue? The issue is that marriage should be, should depend on the faithfulness of God's divine covenant. It should. Because if our marriages are not necessarily being adhered to, before the Lord, what happens is we miss what God is doing. I, I, I want there's so much I want to go into, but y'all probably want to get out of here at eleven thirty. But I want you to get this that our marriages should resemble our devotion to Christ. If you're struggling in your devotion to the Lord, you're going to struggle in your devotion in your marriage. Some of us have this romantic view of when I get married, then you know what? All of my life, I'm going to be happy. 
I remember reading, uh, listening to the five love languages. Me and my wife just did. And he said, after two years, that's dead and over. Because God tells us to be devoted means we're actively engaged and not actively disengaged in our minds, in our hearts. And what that means is we wake up in the morning knowing that our hearts are not going to be Godward. So we have to smack our hearts and say, I need to be focused on God. My heart needs to be focused on being devoted to the Lord. That's what we do to ourselves when we look at our spouse. Each and every day when you wake up, you say, I'm going to be devoted to my wife. I'm going to be devoted to my husband. Single people are saying, well, Mike, you're not talking to me. Yes, you're saying, I'm going to honor my relationship with God each and every day. You're not going to do whatever you want according to your will and making your own covenant. But you're going to do everything God has called you to do. And then we see there's a connection between adultery and, and idolatry. Idolatry was a serious matter. And we see this in Deuteronomy 22 where actually if you were to sleep with another woman, Deuteronomy 22, uh, 22 says, if a man is found lying with, another, with the wife of another man, both of them shall die. That's cold. That's cold blooded. <laughs> both of them shall die. The man who lay with the woman and the woman <clears throat> and the woman so shall purge the evil from Israel. That, that is clear. Okay, because the same connection that we see with idolatry leads to death. Idolatry in in adultery looks the same even when you look at the prophets as they discuss it in, in Ezekiel 16. And remember the prophet Hosea whose wife, Gomer, had committed adultery. And scholars would say that this is an image in which how Israel commits adultery to God by worshiping other gods. Idolatry is serious. And we see that it, that people are punished by death. But that we also see that it makes a clear disconnect from God. This is so important because when you look at David, remember when David had sex with Bathsheba? What happened to his life? You see, when, when, and then he, he began to have a downward spiral. But there was a clear connection that his adultery actually was not so much the sin against the man as much as it was bigger than it was sin against God. In Psalm 51, 4, he says, against you and you only have I sinned and done this evil in your sight so that you may be justified in your words. It wasn't so much that he killed Uriah. It wasn't so much that he slept with Bathsheba. It was the fact that he sinned against God. And David recognized that his sin was against God and God alone because he knew that he was breaching the covenant relationship that he had with God. And in breaching that, we do the same thing if we commit adultery on our spouse. It shows what's really in the heart. And that's our second point. Covenant faithfulness. Because look, when you see David... What happens? His household, his daughter is raped. His son begins to turn his back on him. That's a downward spiral to his life. Because he's just overwhelmed. But see, the next point says that our covenant faithfulness to the Lord, to God, reveals what's in our heart. You can see this in Matthew twenty, Matthew 5, 27 through 30. I don't have time to do justice to the entire text, but listen to this. He says this, Jesus says this, You have heard that it was said that you shall not commit adultery. But... 
I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent, say lustful intent, has already committed adultery in his, in, with her in his heart. Say heart. Why? Because what does he say? What does he say? Jesus is intentional and direct. Who is he talking to? To the Pharisees. This is why it is prefaced directly to men. But everyone has this particular issue. But as he's talking to the Pharisees, you know what their thing is? If I'm not cheating physically, if the outward act is not with another woman, then I'm okay. But God says it's not about the outward act. It's not about what you're doing or the physical touch. It's not simply about the sexual intercourse that, that we're only talking about when it comes to violating the, the seventh commandment. But it's your lustful intent. Ah, what's the lustful intent? Literally meaning desire something that is forbidden. So the idea in which no one knows what's going on in your heart because you looked at her. Or you scrolled on that Instagram page a little bit too long? Or you're looking through that Twitter feed a little bit too long? Or you're looking for different avenues in order to watch pornography? Or you're staring at your sister and only looking at her as an object? Or your brother and only looking at him as an object? What happens? You know what the problem is? Jesus is saying, I know what's in your heart. They may not know, but I know. They may not know what you're thinking or how you strip them. As Paul David Tripp said, from the hands of God to try to make them only something that is pleasurable for yourself. But I know. Why is this so convicting? Because in today's society, it's easy to do this in private moments. But God is saying, I know the private moments. I'm with you in the private moments. This is a promise that I am always with you. And so even when you see me in those private moments, he says this. He says, if be extreme in the hyperbole you see in the next couple verses is pluck out your eye. Cut off your right hand. Do something extreme because it's going to affect your entire body. Some of us are like, I don't want to cut off my my hand. I don't want to pluck out my eye. I don't even want my pinky toe to be missing. But the idea is, what it means for us today, is if you are struggling on social media, or looking at gratifying, uh, at, at getting sexual pleasures and gratification from that, you need to forsake it. <laughs> you need covenant eyes. See, pornography today is the idol of instant gratification or dehumanizing other uh, uh, individuals. And it becomes some an area in which we begin to worship that pleasure. I read this about pornography. That porn industry is worth over a billion dollars today, brothers and sisters. Over a hundred, I'm sorry, a hundred billion dollars. Over a hundred billion dollars, which is a clear indicator of how much we're infatuated with immediate pleasure. And then, this article said that in just one year, speaking of 2016, we have dedicated us, uh, we have dedicated well over four and a half billion hours to watching porn on one site so much of our time is exhausted by dedicating it to a pleasure to a pleasure God the disillusion of lust leads us to think that instant gratification means something or can compare to Yahweh 
Pornography gives us this. A false sense of privacy and secrecy. We see leaders today, pastors, who have struggled in this area and have tried to hide it and make excuses for it. And it has been detrimental to the spiritual development of individuals and even losing people to the faith. This actually conflicts with our loyalties. What does pornography does? If you're struggling with pornography, you know what it leads to? Isolation. If you're struggling with pornography, you know what happens? You begin to live a life of secrecy. If, you know what, if you're struggling with pornography in your marriage, you know what happens? That you don't see your wife as made in the image of God. You don't see your husband being made in the image of God. They only become something that can meet that pleasure for you. And you know what happens when you come into this place? You're shamed with so much guilt. You're shamed with so much, with so much uh, uh, toxic shame that you begin to, you're distracted and your conscience is not clear. It's in 1 Peter 3, 16, where Peter is encouraging us, Christians, to have a clear conscience. Why? Because even when you're on that business trip, that clear conscience in the area of God, when you're on the business trip or when you're, when you're by yourself, actually means that what you do in private will be what the same thing you do in public. Pornography is a plague to many of our marriages and has caused us in our sexual intimacy to fall by the wayside because it no longer glorifies God. But then the abuse of power, when we see in the Me Too movement, you know what's happened? Is that so many people have revealed, revealed that using the workspace or using promotions or using other areas and settings in order to to gratify oneself by the power hungriness of men has caused so many women to be abused, hurt, and shamed. And see, you know what's happened? Many of us have been so desensitized to it that our hearts aren't even broken by it. Pornography, the abuse of power, and then sex. Sex has become so taboo today because we're having premarital sex, we're, ha- we're fornicating, or, or we're gratifying ourselves through these different things. And so we no longer see it as a gift from God. And what's, what, happens with, what happens when you get, when you, when you are married, or what happens when you're, when you're burning, and see, listen, I just want to say this, <laughs> marriage is not Christianity, okay? Doesn't mean that you're a Christian. It's okay to be single. Y'all always know I try to take a moment to... Just shout out my single people. But here's the danger. When you're having one night stands, and when you're lusting, and you're in that relationship, and you're committing adulterous acts, you're having premarital sex, you need accountability. Period. I was just with a group of men, and we had been going through a study, and we got to the sex part. And just to hear... All of the brothers talk about the areas of struggling and having struggled was powerful. Why? Because so many people think that I'm in isolation and I'm the only one struggling. It's good to hear victory stories. 
It's good to hear how God has called us to have victory over many of the struggles of pornography and committing adultery and cheating on our, our wives or having one night stands, etc. It's good to do that. But see, here's another thing that I feel like we miss and the devil is so sneaky. Is that divorce is running rampant in our church and church is because of this idea of pleasure. You're not meeting my needs and it's not only sexually. Therefore, I need to disengage from marriage. And divorces and marriages are struggling. Why? Because they don't trust in the church. I've had, I've had several marriages to where they've seen therapist upon therapist. They've seen person upon person. But yet, they have said, I don't want to trust in the church. I don't want to come under submission of authority. Because I don't want people to know what's happened or what's going on. Can I encourage you not to try to manage this by yourself? Seek pastoral wisdom. Seek your elders. Even your deacons. Seek godly wisdom. Try to be on some kind of peacemaking or restoration team. Where people can help your marriage thrive. It's not because you need to, dis, you need to, need to disregard it. Or you need to let it fall by the wayside. And homosexuality is the other one. Because I do have friends and I know people who are professing to be Christians but struggle with same-sex attraction. I know it's difficult if that's you. And I know it's hard to be celibate. And and the church should not shame anyone that struggles with same-sex attraction. I just wanted to say that. Because the way we take sex for granted... We make it seem as if, well, just seek whatever is pleasurable for you. And we don't think as heterosexuals at times how someone has to live a life that's celibate. But see, Jesus, he's taught us how to be faithful. And it's through this table. This table is a representation of a covenant that he's made with each of you. Though that you may think that he was God and he could not be tempted, the Bible tells us otherwise. That he was a God who was able to empathize, a high priest, with every temptation and sin of the individual and has still remained sinless. Don't get it confused, you are not God. But this table shows you the God that you should worship. The God you should be faithful to. The God that leads you to faithfulness in your marriage. The God that leads you to faithfulness in your, in your relationships. The God that leads you to faithfulness even in the moments of privacy in your own hearts. Because what he did 2,000 years ago is what he, he died on the cross for a wretch like you and me. So that we may not be allured by lust but we may find the beauty in his majesty so as you come to this table and you come this morning please come knowing what he has done and I ask 
several of our elders and our prayer team and those that are uh, deacons, you can even just stand on the side, just a couple, to pray with individuals who may be struggling in this area or feel a level of shame and guilt. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we love you and we bless you. We thank you for your, your mercy and your grace. And you've told us to come to the altar. You called us to come to you. Because some of our guilty pleasures, some of the things that cause us shame, some of the things that we've just walked away from knowing that, God, we've, we've fallen day after day, that you're a God that has remained faithful and can teach us and lead us to be devoted to you, which will lead to devotion in all of our relationships and even in our heart. Use us, Lord, for your glory. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Beloved, let us continue to worship God by giving the gifts of God.
bread and drink the cup and proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. You'll grieve. Say amen, beloved. I just want to say before I pray that this table is not the table of downtown church. It's the table of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so if you come, please come knowing that you are a member of a Bible-believing church or you're a Christian that has professed to know Christ. If you have yet to profess to know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, we ask that you not come to the table, but you come for prayer. And that if you're considering believing in Christ and making that profession, please pray with our our brothers and sisters here as you make that profession. Pray with me. Father, we ask that you set these elements apart for your supernatural use to encourage your people so they may know that the bread and the cup actually is a sign and a seal of your covenant faithfulness to us. And Jesus, as you have made a covenant with us through your death and through your through the, through the breaking of your body and through your blood, we ask that we drink and we rejoice. We eat and we are re, we're re-energized. We're refreshed. We're restored. We're renewed because of what you've done. Thank you for your finished work. It's in Jesus' name we pray. All God's people say, Amen.